Today, I want to welcome back Dr. Bethany Gamble. She is the Diversion and Compliance Coordinator at an academic institution in the Southeast. In our last interview, she shared with us her process for evaluating a diversion software platform. And today, we're going to talk about another process that they incorporate into their suspected diversion cases. It's really good to have you back, Bethany. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Yes, me too. Absolutely. I think there's going to be a lot of good information here. And Bethany and I are co-presenting at IHFDA in a couple of weeks. So I think this will be uh, posted before then. So those of you that hear this, if you haven't signed up, there's still spots virtually. You can sign up. Yes. I'm looking forward to that as well. So let's start, Bethany, with giving us an overview in your investigative process. Let's just say that you have found the person through an audit. It's not a behavioral thing that somebody has alerted you to, but in the data, you've got some indication there might be a problem. And so you've performed an audit that tells you that there might be something there. What happens after that? Just give us a broad overview of that process. Yeah, so once we, at, we're at my institution, once we do an investigation, um, whether it's from an audit or from a concern, we're pulling together a drug diversion response team. And so that's your typical players that everyone hears about when you're re reviewing an investigation of that multidisciplinary team. So we come together, we review all of the data, of course, behavioral history, you know, the whole 360 that you would review when you're looking at a team member. And so from there, at the end of our DDRT, we have to come to some sort of conclusion or next steps. So that can really be one of three things. Uh, we don't have any concern. Maybe there's just a couple things we need to address from a compliance practice standpoint. Uh, we have a lot of concern or enough concern where we say there's possible diversion taking place, which leads us down the whole reporting and fit for duty drug testing route of things or that gray area. And we, we're not comfortable saying we don't have a concern and we're not quite so sure we have a concern. Um, and so those are kind of the three different routes that we have to take, um, all have follow-up that are required. Um, and so I think what we had discussed last time after we had our great conversation about diversion software and how that looks in the investigation is what could we talk about that uh, is part of our investigations that isn't really talked about as much, um, but something that is a great tool to ensure that you have a well-rounded investigation. And one of those things that came out of that conversation was targeted bedside rounding. And so we use targeted bedside rounding um, the majority of the time in that gray area. So it's pretty straightforward, right? When you, when you meet with your DDRT, if you have a diversion concern, we could talk all day, but there's an algorithm for what we have to do uh, yeah. legally in reporting. Um, and then, you know, on the compliance side, if there's an education problem, straightforward again. Um, but where do you go in that gray area? And I think historically, a lot of institutions would say, well, if it's not bells and whistles, alarms going mm -hmm. off, we're done. You know, let's move on to something else. Everyone's busy. Um, but what we wanted to do is we would say we've got to dig deeper. 
And what that meant in the beginning was, okay, well, we're going to run more data and we're mm-hmm. going to be back in a month. And then we're going to talk. Well, mm-hmm. what I was finding was we're looking at the same thing again. And a lot of times we weren't coming to any different of a conclusion. Of course, you would have situations where uh, practice was better or practice was getting worse. And so you then could go to that option A or B that we were talking about. But a lot of times I just was seeing the same thing. So I was like, is this even beneficial? Are we just doing this to check a box? So we created targeted bedside rounding. And in a high level, easy way of how I define that is when we have a leader perform patient interviews to assess if what is being charted in the medical record and uh, dispensed from your ADCs is reflective of the patient's account or the patient's family member's account of their care that they've received. So you're trying to see does transactional data match a personal account of what's taking place. And the reason why we did this is because, you know, policies are tightening, you know, healthcare institutions are getting so much better in their diversion programs. So you're tightening your policies, you're tightening your settings for what's required in your EMR, what's required in your ADCs. They know that we're looking at surveillance reports. So someone who's diverting uh, has to get a little bit smarter too, right? You know, they have to find their way to get underneath the radar. And um, there's just certain things that software isn't going to be able to pick up that boots on the ground, old school investigative work, um, just nothing can replace it. And so in these scenarios, this is where we found that person who is either early on in their diverting um, and maybe not having to excessively pull medications or get sloppy with their work or that person who doesn't necessarily need to divert an extensive amount of medications, but needs to do it in a way, like I said, they can fly under the radar. This is where we see it. But also, which we can touch on in a little bit, we also see where this can rule out those diversion concerns, and we can really hone in on the compliance problem, if it's something we can fix, or if we just have someone who um, really is a bad apple and we just really shouldn't be continuing to care for, for our patients. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, thing that we often don't talk about and that is the ruling out, right? We, we get focused on, well, are they? Are they? Let's have proof. But there's the flip side as well that it can rule that out. And it, these investigations are very laborious and time consuming. So if we can rule it out, then that saves a lot of time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these gray area audits, I mean, so much of the time, that's kind of what they are, right? And they're gray because it could be poor practice, but poor practice could indicate diversion because, you know, there really could be one and the same. Right. The, the employee could also just indicate that they didn't understand the policy, but how do you really know if that's what it was or if that's just what they're saying and now they've been alerted to the fact that you know okay i got caught and it was through this so it really does become kind of a complicated thing so in terms of your patient interviews a couple of questions one 
how do you do it without the the employee knowing that you're checking on them? Because at this point, I'm assuming you haven't tipped your hand that right. you're looking at them. Um, and then two, what is your process? I mean, obviously, if you do find something that indicates we have a problem, then it starts down that process. Of, okay, you know, that full investigation. But if you don't have a problem, are you like one and done? And then you kind of think, okay, I guess it's practice. Or what do you do then? So how do you not tip the person off? And then what do you do when you still don't find anything in a patient interview? Yeah, so when we're in those DDRT meetings and we decide, okay, we're going to go with targeted bedside rounding, um, we right away discuss with that team leader what the next three to five shifts are. So let's just go with a nurse for the rest of our conversation for the example. So what is this nurse's the next three to five shifts? So we're looking in that live time and we're coordinating um, who can get that done. So really we want it to be that nurse manager because we try to keep our DDRT small for confidentiality and also just making sure we have the right people at the table. Mm -hmm. And so we identify, you know, can those next three to five shifts be done? You know, is the nurse manager going to be here taking into account night shift weekends and all of that? And we do try to push that even if it is a night shift or weekend, you know, we need to get this done and try to not let that be a barrier. So we identify those shifts. And then I created a document that one explains what targeted bedside rounding is. I found myself, you know, we say the same thing in these meetings <laughs> over and over again, but then you can forget that one thing that someone needed to hear that you've said it so much, you just forgot it. So I created a document that outlines what it is and outlines the importance of doing this in a way that the team member, like you say, we haven't, you know, showed our hand yet. They don't know what's taking place. So we don't want anyone outside of the DDRT to know what's taking place. And then also we don't want the patient to get tipped off because we, the last thing we want them to feel is that there's a concern about who's caring for them during their stay. Because if we had that concern, we would move the other route. So, we discuss, you know, that the nurse manager will be doing it and that no one should know about this. And then we go into the details of that. And on that same document, I then outline what this should look like. So one, we should not just be doing these rounding interviews on just that nurse's patients that day, because that can look obvious to coworkers. So sprinkle in one or two other patients from um, another nurse. It does not need to be abundant because we all know that we're busy. And then um, we also make sure that we want this to really look like a regular leadership round. So the whole conversation is not going to be focused on controlled substances. You know, we try to disguise it. You know, nurse managers and other leaders have to do patient rounds for HCAP scores, patient satisfaction and all of that. So we really want it to look like that. Um, and then we work the questions in that we need to ask. So first is establishing um, what shifts will do this, establishing the, how it will be done and how we're going to disguise this. And then we, then we go into the details of those questions. So same document again, and I'll tell you in the past, I didn't have this document. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's important to have a template if you're going to do this, because I was having this time and time again, where what I was getting back was one sentence feedback of how the interview went. I could tell that the chart wasn't assessed. 
It didn't have all of the information, including just patient identifiers so that I could go back and look at it. Um, and so for this to be worthwhile, I suggest a template that makes sense to your institution and, and what you're going to need as a diversion coordinator. And it goes by category for me. So first is the obvious, right? Pain medications. So I have a section to, that they complete for pain medications, and it gives them example narratives to start off with the patient. So the first thing we want to do is, you know, how has your pain been um, in the last 24 hours? Have you required any medication? But from there, parsing out, um, okay, did we have to give that to you by mouth or did we need to give you something in your IV? And then, okay, did we need to give you anything else or, or did that do it for you? Or, or did you have continued pain? Did you need something stronger? And this has shown to be so beneficial because um, for one, maybe someone didn't need a controlled substance and they just needed Tylenol. And so, uh, but they have several other uh, controlled substances documented, including oral or IV. Um, maybe they only needed one dose and they have three or four doses charted, another common method, right, for that PRN medication mm -hmm. order. And so um, that's very helpful. And I have to really hit that home with my nurse managers because I was just kind of getting the, how's your pain? Yeah, she yeah. gave me something in that. Can you get something? Yeah. yeah. So it. that's we, we need more detail than that. And then um, do the same thing for our benzodiazepines, because mm -hmm. that was another thing that was getting missed. I would go back and look at the data and I didn't have any feedback on, you know, their medications that they have in their profile. Again, often PRN medications. So assessing for that patient who is on either an alcohol withdrawal protocol, who's going to have multiple variations um, of a benzodiazepine on their profile or having um, that same medication on for anxiety. So asking that patient, hey, you know, I saw that you had you take something at home for anxiety. Have you had to have anything while you've been here? Have you been feeling anxious? You know, what 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 can we do? That type of thing. And they're gonna let you know, yeah, I needed something um, or I didn't need something. And again, assessing how often and by what route they had to receive that, especially when you've got someone maybe on an alcohol withdrawal protocol and they've got a lot more opportunity on that profile to pull and give more meds um, because there's so many on there. And then, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, do you typically wait until the end of, toward the end of the shift or do you try to look for removals and then get in there quick? Yeah, so I'll say the majority of the time we wait till the end of the shift um, and it just seems to be a little bit easier for the nurse manager because they can kind of look back at the profile um, and then go in and talk to the patient and, and, you know, ask all of their questions at one time. However, there are some based off of some behavior that we're seeing in the transactions where we felt like it's important to go in um, immediately after charting. And that's really been beneficial to catch that person who's doing a lot of the PRN, especially like the IV, like the Q2, Q4 hour PRN Dilaudid that may be on the profile. And um, you just really feel like they aren't getting it. So, so there has been times where we have a nurse manager sitting in their office, paying attention to what's being pulled and charted, and then, you know, goes in 30 minutes later and is just doing the same questions, talking with the patient, 
And then we get that really real time information. But the majority of the time, it's the end of the shift. Okay. <clears throat> and then how do you handle, there are some patients that just are not good uh, historian. historian in this case, because it just happened. But um, do you still talk to those patients and just try to get to them faster, like right after an administration has been charted? We do. We try to talk to those patients, but I'll tell you, like, especially if you're in an ICU where someone's intubated yeah. um, and maybe there's not a caregiver and then even more so, you know, these days with restrictions on caregivers and hospitals and people not being there. Um, if we have that situation, then that's where we require further sample size. So maybe we're not doing three to five shifts. We're doing the next two weeks so that we can get more patient interviews because um, that that is often where I'll schedule. Let's say we talk and we've got the next uh, four shifts covered this week, um, and we're going to meet again on Monday. But I touch base with the nurse manager on Friday, and we really only have two good patient reports. Mm -hmm. Then I'll extend it out a week um, so we can get some more beneficial information. Because the last thing I want to do is take one good report from a patient. Um, and we still have something going on. So there's definitely right. parts where we have to extend out to get a better sample size. Okay, that makes sense. So to back it up a little bit then, every time an audit has been performed because of a concern, so you've got the data, that's the first piece, it always goes to your DDRT for an assessment of let's this group, let's review the data, see what we have and try to tick it off with either practice or oh for sure this we're moving forward with the investigation, which I'm assuming is the interview piece and all of that. And then you're also deciding it's falling in the middle. So let's do the patient interviews. So that yeah. DDRT team always makes your decision as to which path you're gonna go, correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. every single time. If there, if I'm doing an investigation on someone, I never look at that um, in a silo. That's brought to the group, okay. Okay. and then we decide. And you know how that is. Sometimes we're like, oh, I could, you know, we can move on. There's no need to meet. But yeah, by our policy, because sometimes then things come out that you don't even know. That okay. a nurse manager will bring something up, and you're like, okay, well, that kind of changes things. Right but now, when you yeah. meet with with the DDRT, do you always invite? ad hoc the the local manager to that meeting or do you have them review the data first and then present to that ddrt how do you involve the the unit manager so by our policy our ddrt always involves um, myself so the diversion coordinator the leader of the team member being investigated um, the uh, site leader, so let's say, again, we're going with a nurse, so the chief nursing um, officer for that site, uh, the pharmacy manager for that site, um, and then we can have some others. Sometimes we need infection prevention, corporate compliance, um, you know, risk, it, it, it varies, but it's always going to be that, oh, and the, I forgot one, the HR business partner sure. that covers that team member. So it's always basically the two levels of leadership of that team member, myself and HR, no matter what, along with the pharmacy manager of that site and then some ad hoc people depending on the investigation. So it's okay. always gonna be the same group reviewing. Okay, so the first time the unit manager hears about this is during this DDRT meeting? 
So there, they'll usually be, especially if they're reaching out to me first, yes, you know, yes. they'll, they'll usually be some, some conversation up front about what the concern is. But as far as reviewing the data and detail, the first time is that DDRT meeting. Now, if there's something really odd about the data that I want to run by that nurse manager before, then I just get with her offline and say, take a look at this, you know, what, can you look at this patient's chart? Do you see what's going on with this medication? Or maybe there was like a discrepancy that they were involved in. That's where that pharmacy manager who's, you know, responsible for that day to day. Um, I'll get with them and say, you know, do you remember, do we have some additional um, notes that were about this discrepancy? That's very valuable because they're like, oh yeah, I remember they came to the window. This is what happened. Um, right. So there's, there's some pre-leg work, but for the most part, we're looking at the data together for the first time on that DDRT meeting. Okay. So there's no additional chart review or here, this is what I'm finding. I think it might be something, but nurse manager, I need you to review a few charts and consider your workflows and tell me what your opinion is. You kind of save that for the whole group yes. discussion. And then if you decide they need to go and review things, then I guess you you make that decision there. Yeah. And yeah, report yeah. there's plenty of times where we say, um, you know, we'll look at the chart in real time in the meeting, or we'll say, mm -hmm. I need you to look at this and we're going to get back tomorrow. Or, you know, there's some additional information, things like that. But as much as I can do the legwork up front, um, then then I do. But okay. for the most part, everything's pretty much decided there, you know, that route A, B, or C for which we're going to go. Okay. So you do the interviews. Everything seems to be accounted for, but there are a few things on the audit that you're like, yeah, I don't know. What do you do then? Yeah. So we get, so I guess the first step really is, so I get back those forms that I was talking about that has all of the information. And then I run the data for that time period. Okay. And then I take all of the narrative from those forms and I put it into the data, in my case, you know, in the form of a, sp a spreadsheet. And I'm pairing together that narrative with the data and then making the obvious conclusions, whether they match up or whether they don't. And so that really helps that for the DDRT for the people who aren't doing the investigation, because, you know, you have to lay it out on a silver platter for people to be able yep. to digest and make a good sound decision because it's a collective decision. It's not just yep. mine. So I present it. And so let's say that we have uh, data meets narrative um, and there's no other concerns. So actually, I guess maybe we should back it up a minute because I know this is one thing that you and I talked about before this bedside rounding starts, um, we talk about education. So let's say um, that we feel that this, you know, obviously could be a compliance problem. Well, we need to be able to kind of test for that. And so before we institute this rounding, we say, do we have, um, you know, a morning staff meeting, a morning huddle that's coming up tomorrow that nurse A that we're investigating will be at? And so we say, yes, let's say this nurse's problem is late waste. Um, and so we say, okay, can we do a policy review tomorrow morning at your staff meeting with all of your staff to go over the late waste? 
And so we discuss what needs to be highlighted um, and then that's done. Then the targeted bedside rounding starts after that. So we do that in an effort to say, okay, you, we know you received the education. So we're again, trying to parse out, you know, what's the diversion, what's the education compliance problem. So that makes our case a little bit stronger for if we do see something or we're hopeful that, you know, the new data won't show it. So, okay, so we did that. We did the targeted bedside rounding. I paired the narrative with the data and now we come together and now we see that we don't have a problem. Okay, so it, we're thinking education, this was a sloppiness problem, that type of thing. If that's what we see, then we move forward. We have our system, um, human resources, corrective action policy, which is used for everything. You know, someone coming in late to work or you know, no shows. Um, and we work on what the corrective action is going to be. And that's all based off of our policy and where that team member is at um, in that process. So um, let's say that we're going to go ahead and an and, and issue, we decide on what level of corrective action it's going to be. We coordinate what that conversation is going to look like with the team member. The majority of the time, the nurse manager feels comfortable doing it with them, you know, by themselves. Mm -hmm. And at that time, that's the first time that the team member is going to be presented with you. We've been looking at you. So we really try to take the approach in these scenarios that um, an audit has been done. We don't say we were doing an investigation on you. Okay. We say an audit has been done. We've looked at your controlled substance transactions. You know, this is what we've seen. You've been educated on it. It, you know, X, Y, and Z times, you know, in so many ways. So we're going to have to go ahead and issue this corrective action. And then of course, all that's documented in our HR system and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so the other last piece that we included more recently in that, because I realized that that loop wasn't always getting closed. So we would go through all of this and then we would decide what the follow-up was going to be. And then maybe I did an audit several months later on the whole unit, not necessarily on that team member. And I see it again. And then maybe we even have to move forward with an investigation. And then here we are a year later meeting about something. And then there's nothing to file. And then we're starting back over on the corrective action. So it's like you're not repairing the behavior. You're not changing the culture. Right. So because of that, we then created, I created this additional HR, what we call post-investigation document, which is strictly just for me and my files, because HR is going to continue documenting in their system, you know, the way that they need to. Um, but it, the HR business partner who was involved in that investigation has to fill out that form, which outlines how we got here and what the outcome was of the investigation. And I'll tell you, that's caught, since we've started using that, that's caught a lot of, oh, I haven't closed that out in our HR system, or no, I haven't met with her. She was on vacation. I forgot. I'll meet with her today. So that's really helped to just make sure that we do it. And really, it's better for the team member, because yeah. I don't want to see, you know, if they have that serious meeting with HR, most, you know, good willing people who just maybe weren't practicing the way that they should be. Um, and being compliant, think that their practice changes. But if they aren't made aware of it in that serious manner, 
then their practice isn't going to change. And then I'm going to see them again. And you know how it is when you see, you know, Bethany Gamble come up again and you looked at her a year ago, mm -hmm. your antennas are up. When you start recognizing names, you're yes. like, oh boy, yes. I've got a problem. Exactly. So that form kind of helped us enforce that, that side of things. Yeah, that's good. Well, in HR, you know, they're juggling a lot of balls too, so they forget. So it's that kind of accountability piece of um, making sure it gets done. And even, I mean, I have found after investigations, nobody, and, and you decide to report, nobody reports. So it's yeah. like, did you report? No, I thought you were going to, you know, so it's just closing that <laughs> loop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, this is great. I mean, I, I love your process. I think that a lot of places probably struggle with, you know, when to escalate, how much evidence do you need, and how do you get out of that gray zone? Like, do you, you know, do you sit down with that employee and have that conversation while you're in the gray zone? Because, you know, I mean, that's hard for them and that may change some relationships or they're like, you kidding me? I worked for you for how long and I work so hard and then this is, you know, you pull me in here for this. And if it's not justified, that could be a problem. And so there are a lot of struggles with that in that middle zone. So I think your your process, I think, is is really great. I mean, do you have a do you have a feel for how often these bedside roundings and the education and then looking to see at their activity? Would you say that? you know, 90% of the time, it leads you very clearly in, you know, one of two directions and only 10% of the time you're left kind of in that gray zone or do you have a feel for how often? Yeah, I mean, I feel like after we do these targeted bedside roundings, I feel very comfortable in path A or path B. Like I feel okay. very comfortable that this is not diversion or Diversion concern again, because that's what we operate off is is diversion concern. Right. So um, I feel I always feel very confident, and I think that that's okay. where, especially in the world of, I'm sure you feel this, just like the diversion liability. Like we want to make sure that yeah. we have investigated to the yeah. best of our ability, especially those people that we're leaving in the workforce and not moving right. forward with. So for me, it's like, I want to know that I've exhausted as much as I can. I still don't have a concern and now I feel good moving on. So I always feel really comfortable, you know, you know, moving on and saying, I don't have a concern or saying, okay, um, maybe we weren't quite ready to pull the trigger, but now I am. So yeah. in those situations where something's not adding up or man, sometimes the things that patients come back to you you know, like we had one that comes to mind where the patient said, yeah, and um, I don't take a half a tablet at home, but I was always getting a half a tablet. And that wasn't <laughs> even on our radar. So then I'm going back looking at the order versus what presentation we're stocking in the ADC. And I'm like, that would have interesting. Been a little bit for you and a little bit for me. Right, exactly. <laughs> interesting. So, so yeah. those type of things have come out. And then I'm like, oh, well, that helped me, you know, with my future investigations for sure, because I wasn't even, yeah. you know, that that wasn't the low-hanging fruit that we were looking yeah. for. It's an all or none. I mean, you either yeah. got it or you didn't. Yeah, and think about yeah. that. Or just even talking about their behavior about um maybe we didn't even register that they were going off the unit and then it's like i kept calling her and then she said that she was 
you know, down the hall helping in another unit. And I was like, that's, that's not our workflow. She wasn't, she wasn't helping in another unit. So what, but the, you know, the patient doesn't know how that right. works in the hospital. Right. So then that helped us go, okay, maybe we need to look at badge swipes a little bit more. Okay. So like those type of feedbacks have been very comfortable or very valuable from the patients as well. Yeah. In those areas where, okay, now we've got more concern than we've had before and yeah. we're going to move forward. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's great. Well, yeah. thank you very much for sharing. I, I think this is great information for those out there that don't have something like this in place. And I thank you for your willingness to, to share. That's what I love about this, you know, the whole diversion community is really willing to share so we don't have to reinvent things and we can really learn from other people's processes. And I think this is great information. Yes, yes, I love what you're doing. I love tuning into your episodes. There's always <laughs> some different topic and everyone's always like bringing valuable information to the table. Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. Love to share it. All right. Well, thank you, Bethany. And I will see you soon in Nashville. Yes, I can't wait. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye. Have a great day.